And welcome to this episode of Up My Street, the podcast that explores the world of creative placemaking and the clever initiatives that are engaging people in the places where they work, live and play. I did that in the weird order. <laughs> Do you know why? It's because of the conference that we're going to be talking about later on a different other episode and it's got and they yeah they kept highlighting how it was terrible to keep saying that it's overused but it's overused because it it's right does what it says (laughs) on the tin i'm all for doing what it's i mean heaven's sake my trail business is called making trails yeah i do like a obvious title but anyway that's (laughs) enough of that so today we have a rather exciting guest with us today this is somebody who i have uh, had the pleasure of working with myself um and Whilst we were working on a project recently, we got her talking and I suddenly realised she's rather fantastic in the world of heritage projects and often wise can be seen in a um, a high vis and a hard hat. (laughs) <laughs> my own <laughs> <laughs> which she has <laughs> um uh and has been on archaeological digs has been involved in medieval churches she's working on a bell festival parade mm. Mm. In, and other amazing projects i'm going to list a few of them now just so you can sort of get an idea of the breadth of work that she's been involved with so our guest today has worked on the palatoy story Heritage mosaics, Moira Furnace, recreated a World War One march, two medieval churches, and as I mentioned earlier on, Charnwood Bell Festival, and she also works at the National Memorial Arboretum. So today's guest is the marvellous Linda Bohr. <laughs> Hello. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Um, thanks ever so much for coming in. I did kind of... Um, as soon as you mentioned all the projects you were working on and have worked on in the past, I did say, mm, you're, you're coming on our podcast. You're you did, on. you did, yes. Yeah, which was, it kind of became quite clear quite early on that you'd be an interesting voice to have. Um, but currently, you're working on a number of things, but you're um, battling with roads for a bell festival. I am indeed, yep. I love a procession, that's the problem. So when someone said to me, would you be interested in organising a bell festival? And I'm thinking, okay, this sounds fun already. Um, And then I learned the story um, that Loughborough, uh, which is in Charmwood, um, has George Taylor Bells, which is the only bell foundry in the country. And it was about the story of how they came to be in Loughborough and what they do. So what a story. So that had to be mine. And it is. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that you particularly enjoy doing is um, sharing those stories. So discovering the stories and then sharing them with the public. Um, and that's something that we're all for and have tried to do in the past. Well, we have succeeded. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, you'd, so you'd say that's probably your passion, isn't it? Sharing oh, stories. yeah. I think when people ask me what I do, it's hard to describe what I do because I rarely do the same thing twice and I do all sorts of things. But I think the overall thing is that I'm a storyteller. So I tell stories in as many interesting and fascinating and fun ways as I can. Yeah. And that, I love it. <laughs> and that's what we're particularly interested in yeah. because obviously when when we were putting together the guest list for the podcast, what we wanted to do is make sure that we could have somebody on board who um, has a particular interest in history and heritage and how you then communicate that to yeah. 
the wider public and in yes. what ways yes. um so when you're looking at so say if somebody comes up to you and says oh um i've got this interesting piece of heritage that we've discovered be nice if people knew about it mm. what kind of process do you go through to make that happen um well if i don't already know about it i'll ask them what their story is and usually they just give me a brief story and then my head sort of goes into overdrive and then starts creating these pictures and and if i can see those pictures in my head i know i can make it happen if i can't see the pictures in my head I know it just won't, and then it's probably a, a role that I wouldn't take on. But usually, you know, I can come up with ideas, and then they drip feed some information, and then I'm away, and I just get rather excited, overexcited. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing. <laughs> yeah, but then, but then I'm sort of trying to think, how can we probably make this story really interesting to the public, and how can we do it in a way that they'll learn from it? Because I think people's perception sometimes of heritage is that it's history, and to me, they're quite different. So they're both talking about the past, but history is pretty much dates and that kind of thing. Well, for a start, I'm useless at remembering dates. Um, <laughs> but to me, it's about the people that were around at the time and the happenings. And of course, heritage isn't always true, is it? Sometimes it's it's made up. You know, Fun. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we in, love a myth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in one of the villages I worked in, um, they had a life-size bear installed on the green, but they never put anything by it to tell people why it was there. So for years, <laughs> mystery bear. People had a life-size bear, <laughs> and then I ended up working in in that village, and uh, I am also a mosaic artist, and um, we ended up with a project where we created a triptych that told the story of why the bear was in the village. And uh, so then everything made more sense. Um, shall I tell you why the bear yes, was in the village? Yes, please. Okay. I need to know about the bear. <laughs> okay, so to. the story is that there were once bears living in the village and um, a, a bear lived in a cave. And a man walked by the cave one day and as he was walking by, the bear came out and started to chase him. And the bear um, grabbed out of the man's coat. And to get free, he wriggled out of the coat. So the bear was left hugging the coat. And the village is called Huggles Coat. <gasps> I mean, it's absolutely made up, isn't it? Okay, hey, what a story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I believe okay it, though. That, yeah. I do believe it. <laughs> I'm okay with a made-up story if it comes with that kind of level of myth. But it doesn't matter that it's not true because it belongs to that village. So it's part of that village and it's a story that's been passed down and that's what heritage is. And I think I'd rather believe that it happened in so many villages because so many villages end with coat. Yeah. So clearly <laughs> a lot of coat happenings has happened oh, across the UK. Oh, absolutely. There must Maybe be coats everywhere. He's losing his coat. <laughs> Imagine people listen to this who do Latin and stuff, whatever it is that they do that they know. I wonder if it's got a buy on the end. It used to be or something or other. Yeah. Village naming and yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not going to go down yeah. well. Close your Feel ears. free to leave a comment. Yeah. <laughs> nicely, please. Oh, but dear. what's really adorable about that, I guess, is is the fact that you're not poo-pooing that myth that everybody um, kind of realizes is definitely yeah. made up yeah, but you're just, yeah but you're sort of embracing it and it's a bit of fun yeah. but it means that people can then like you say engage with yes. some of the items was it a sculpture that was in the middle of the a uh, life-size bear yes yeah, stone carvings stone beautiful mm. good lord but it means that can engage with it in a new way um, yes. and a little bit deeper understanding and yeah. that the fact that there's that element of play is nothing but a good thing i think people oh. often think heritage is very people will remember high-brow. that story yeah, <laughs> you'll remember that story now won't you, you I know? Always, yeah. yeah is it the huddle's coat that i know 
Um, yeah, it's not far from where we live. Yeah, uh, Linda also lives quite near. <laughs> Bizarre, <laughs> but we didn't know this because we both travel however long. Yeah, to we were get both to in the... Staffordshire when we met, weren't yeah, we? Yeah. See, everybody who lives near where I do, Trey. I don't. No. <laughs> oh, boo. It's oh, the epicenter, isn't it? It's the epicenter. <laughs> <laughs> but what? Um, what I guess I was particularly interested in exploring mm. today, as as well as the sort of specific projects that you've been involved with and the mystery bears, <coughs> was um, how what tips you would give to um, placemakers or people who are looking at um, improving areas for utilising heritage as a starting point to make a place better. Well, I think, you know, I was been thinking about this and, you know, when people move, I mean, lots of people are quite, you know, they're movable, aren't they now? And they move to new areas and new housing estates and things like that. And, you know, they they probably don't feel that they belong because they're all sort of clumped together in this estate. And I think when people start to look at what's happened in that area um, and then they look at the, the lives of the people who lived in there many years before them, they're they have a link then to people who live down the road or in other parts of the town because because all of our ancestors went through the same sort of things, didn't they? You know, and, and they lived in the same ways and they faced the same hardships and things. And then therefore you've you've almost got a link with other people already. And it's always starting points for conversations and, and if people start to highlight those those heritage things that have happened. You know, people then can put on events and people can go to them and find out more. And then I think it just gives people more a sense of belonging. So I just think it's really important. I love that. I think as well, we're, it's quite easy to see a place as just the bricks and mortar. Yeah. That's it. And as people that have come from that place, it's it's so easy to assume that everybody already knows the story and it's really old and boring. Mm. Like you were saying, so many people coming in and yeah. new. Yeah. Like it's it's a story that needs to be told often and frequently like teaching kids ABCs you're never going to be done on a yearly basis because there's always going to be new people coming in yeah I think we need to consider that and I think that's why um making things about heritage rather than histories is just so important because you know you might go to a I mean villages that are obviously really old have got lots of stories but you can go to some places and there aren't many stories there and but there might be sort of old buildings and um in fact one of one of the projects I came up with also was during covid the only thing that you could do was walk wasn't it It was anything you were allowed to do oh yeah and people were walking around their neighborhoods and they were just walking by all these fascinating buildings that they probably never gave a second glance at and and they they didn't know what they were about they didn't know why they were there and they probably didn't care and so I came up with an idea that we would create boards to go outside of those buildings and then um when people were walking around, they could just stop and read and find out. And then it just opened up a whole new world. And then we, and we called that Heritage on Your Doorstep. And it was looking at what you've got around you. You don't always have to get in the car to find heritage because it will be there. I love that idea. And I also really like the fact that that is not only super accessible, but I guess it was pretty quick to install and yep. not horrifically expensive <laughs> no and it was great because you you got so many people who couldn't go out to work and and you know for sort of you know I don't mean to categorize people but you know you've got a lot of older people who are involved in heritage societies and then and, and that is a big part of their lives and they couldn't go to those places where they would normally meet and chat and archive and do all of those things but they but by being part of this project they could just do it from home 
they could write down the interesting things about certain buildings and email them to me. And then I would create these fabulous boards and they would send me photographs. And they were just a snapshot of that building because that made us know that in better times, um, those buildings could be opened and people could go in and find out more. I love that. That's <laughs> a, I know, I'm nearly crying and it was my project. <laughs> <laughs> Modesty in the room today. <laughs> I love the fact that you have that emotional connection to the oh, projects that you're yeah. doing. And also believing in the projects that you do oh, and that you're involved Wholeheartedly. In. Mm. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the Toy Story. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, she didn't. She didn't. <laughs> um, yeah. You've got to explain more about that. What on earth was that? Well, because I was, I was brought up in, in Colville where um, the Palatoy factory was. Um, my sisters all worked there at some point. Um, and actually, it was one of my first jobs was working in Palatoy um, and packing things and doing all those things that you do and smelling play-doh oh my life I still love the smell of (laughs) play-doh yeah and then a few years ago uh, I think it was it had some kind of anniversary and there was quite a big project set up and um, and they needed someone to go into schools and work with children and tell them the story of Palatoy which again could have been a bit dry could have been about dates and that kind of thing so I said I know why don't we get the children to create their own toy which we did. So they, they made a sort of paper robot, but they had to cut it all out and decorate it and stuff. And then we made the packaging. So they learned so much about not only how to make toys, but how to sell them. And they put them on this in this little packaging and designed the packaging and stuff, and they, they loved it. And and in between times, we were showing them pictures and videos because, of course, Palatoy was famous for, well, latterly making the Star Wars figures and creating Action Man and all those things. They also made a doll called Tressie, which I had to have because my sisters work there. But there was um, there was a uh, another doll, Cindy, which was made by another company. I really wanted a Cindy. <laughs> I couldn't have one because my family worked at Tre- there. They had to have Tressie from the factory shop. It's a, it's a hard life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. <laughs> a Cindy doll. Do they still sell Cindy's now? I, don't, I, think, I think Barbie sort of... Barbie took over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. But fascinating story and, you know, something that the area is very proud of. So talking about pride then, mm. so one of the things that heritage um, projects are really good at doing is installing that, that sense of civic pride yeah. and sort of making people think, oh, maybe this area is a little... Ooh, <laughs> maybe this area is a little bit better than I had anticipated and I hadn't realised that there was this piece of interesting uh, yeah. information about it mm. but there's always that danger um, and we came across it recently didn't didn't we Trey she's looking at me as if to say what <laughs> of, of, of heritage being lost yes. so I'm specifically oh, yeah. thinking of when we were working on the Orton Spooner project um, so where we live um, it's very uh, beer and brewing heavy um, and uh, you know, there's a lot of history and stories and heritage about the brewing industry, rightly so, because it's a really large mm. part of what went on locally. Mm. But it's not the only part yes. <laughs> of, of, of the history and heritage. And we were trying yes. to sort of widen out um, and broaden everybody's understanding of uh, and maybe make that heritage picture a little bit richer mm. locally. So um, um, a local um, history buff and writer I don't know I'm not sure she'll be happy about being described as no, a maybe buff. take away the way you're buff I don't know 
She's a very good walker. She runs now as well. Maybe she is. Uh, buff, maybe she know. is a history buff. Um, <laughs> 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 um, a lady called Elaine Pritchard, she sort of um, had discovered a story because she met the family of some uh, descendants of uh, people who worked in the factory mm. um, uh, that in Burton-upon-Trent there was a world-renowned fairground manufacturer. Wow. That nobody knew about. Oh, wow. Um, so it was kind it, um, very few people knew about it anyway. Only those really who had a direct link with the factory in some way or their family had a direct with, link with the factory. But for the majority of people locally, that was um, a lost piece mm. of history, a lost piece of heritage. So what we um, were able to do was to utilise that as a starting point for a project. Um, and yeah. the Big Burton Carousel was born. Um, and that was a second trail we did locally. Um, But what was lovely about that project was as soon as you say, oh, yes, we're celebrating this particular heritage point, people come out of the woodworks and say, oh, I have a memory of that. Oh, love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm already excited and it's happened. (laughs) Yeah, so so I guess my question is um, there's always a danger whenever you are working in an area that there are going to be these really interesting nuggets of information of, of heritage that are in danger of being lost. And what can we do to ensure that that doesn't happen? Because these additional bits of information just make the lives of the people who Mm. are involved in that area better, more interesting. Yes. And there's that element of civic pride. So what can we do to make sure that they're not lost? Oh, we need people like us, really, though, don't they, to find them and push them? Because like someone, yeah. someone has got to push those stories and stop them being from hi- from being hidden, haven't they? In in ways that just appeal to people and grab their attention and stuff. And you know, f- I mean, I've already mentioned Colville and Hugglescope, but you know, Colville is well, it's probably famous now for being quite a run-down mining town, to be honest. But in its heyday, it was absolutely full of industry. And if you don't have to go back very far, and then you 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 know, there you are with George Stevenson, who came there and sunk his mine, and the first railway was going through there, and, you know, that's a really big story, but people know that story, but then when I was also working in Hugglescout, then, um, you know, I came across a little story that, again, someone just mentioned about 50 soldiers, and they said, have you ever heard of the famous 50? No, tell me, and, um, well, the let me shorten it (laughs) um so basically um a battalion was short of 50 men when war was declared because at that point um it was people were volunteering and they had the option whether they wanted to sign up or not so this particular battalion in the Leicestershire regiment 50 people kind of dropped out so they needed 50 more men and what they were faced with when they were actually getting over to France was that the Germans were tunnelling underground. And so they thought, what we really need are not just 50 men, we need 50 men that can do what they're doing. And so they came to the Colville area. And then they had... I know, I know, I'm shivering. Um, and so um, they came and they they asked for men to come and lots of people, about 300 of them, came along on the day and said, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. But they wanted men with tunnelling skills and engineering skills. So Colville was actually the great place to come because we had engineers there. Um, and so these 50 men signed up. And what they became were the first volunteer... 
um, they were the first volunteers to land in France um, because they hadn't been trained and they, they'd had hardly any training. They didn't get the uniform until the day before they went. Some of them hadn't got a full uniform. Um, yeah, and so, so they were the first ones that landed there to fight, still as volunteers. It was amazing, an amazing story. And so that was a story that we had to tell. And a lot of them were from were from Colville and from Huggerscote. And so um, we we did an event where we planted 50 trees for them and their names had never been put together before. So we created a memorial and the Leicestershire Regiment came with the flags and we had a lovely service. And, we, you know, it's like people release 50 doves, don't they? But we released 50 pigeons because many <gasps> miners were pigeon owners. That's lovely. Yeah, so we did that. And then um, as we came up to another World War One centenary... Um, we, they said to me, well, Linda, is there anything else you can think of doing? And I said, well, we need to recreate the march. So what they'd done, they'd been um, camping out nearby. So on the day that they left Colville, they marched to the church, had a service, and then marched through the streets up to the train station, and off they went to Luton for their basic training. And so um, that was the march we had to recreate. So I had to find 50 men. And you know what it's like if you put 50 women in a room? You know, they chat about shoes and stuff, don't they? And just random stuff and no, I, I, don't think, <laughs> I don't think we're uh, yeah, I probably <laughs> would talk about shoes actually but you're natter don't you but you put 50 strange men in a room it's not quite the same um and uh, anyway but I managed to get 50 men my god it was hard work <laughs> and uh yeah did you just go knocking on doors saying I need men I went up to men in the street <laughs> Do you and said you know you'd make a great soldier and they're like what <laughs> But Sorry, these, love, I'm married. I know, but all these people came along and, uh, yeah, we, we got them anyway. And um, we did some training, marching and stuff. And it came to the day. I mean, it was a massive thing to organise. I had to close off most of the town, close the roads and everything. And we wanted people to come and see and we didn't know if anyone would turn up. We recreated the church service and the vicar did it as if it was that time. So we, at that point, we sang God Save the King. And oh. she did it as if they were going off to war. They were all in full uniform. Um, and yeah, and, and the and the thing I think that stands out the most on that was on the morning they wanted to do another practice, so they were on the school field, and I'd got and they wanted to do it in their hobnail boots, so I had IKEA bags full of hobnail boots, and I put the bags down, and all I was dreading that was that there would be a pair of shoes left because someone hadn't turned up, <laughs> and you know there had to be 50 men there because I know people wouldn't have counted them but I would know when it had yeah. to be right but at the end there wasn't one pair of shoes left and I can't tell you how happy that made me feel <laughs> yeah and they did it and thousands of people came oh, and they didn't just line the streets and watch as the parade walked by they joined the parade behind and so there were thousands of people walking it's through beautiful. the town behind That's them and we had beautiful. a band in front and everything we did it just like it was and honestly, what a day. What a day. I but bet. you know, the day after, you feel a bit down, don't you oh, think? Oh, yeah. <sighs> and then the you think, blues. what's next? <laughs> what's next? Yeah. So that's the sort of thing you can do to bring to life those lost stories. Nice. I love it. <laughs> you could probably do it on a smaller scale. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the fun in that? Yeah. 25 men. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Linda, I mean, it's really exciting talking, talking to you. And I always love having you in the room because your, your passion for um, these stories is very infectious. And it does mm. make me think, oh, what can we do? I wonder mm. what we're going to discover next. And I think there is that nice element of, you know, e- each 
place has its own story and it's it going to be completely unique and different to its neighbour. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were talking quite a lot about this yesterday at the conference, weren't we? Yeah. There's a lot of talk about celebrating uniqueness and not trying to emulate your neighbour, um, which I think is yeah. a, a very fair point. Um, yeah. But we are, we are, time is trotting on. Um, so what I would like to do before we get to our um, three questions oh. at the end, mm-hmm. oh, and yes. that's the three questions that we ask all of our guests, although we only managed to get through two when Adam Buss was here. Amazing answers, I should just say. It wasn't a bad talk. It was just um, <laughs> Sorry, a lot of it. <laughs> but we didn't actually manage to ask him the last question. So, um, But before we get on to the final three questions, I do want to just talk about um, a little bit more about the Bell Festival. Yeah. Um, because, again, you do love a par- parade. Oh, I love a parade. A procession. Prose- oh, a procession. It's a nicer word. <laughs> it is. That's, that's, that's old, isn't it? Yeah. That makes you think of old stuff. But I want. But I wanted to specifically talk about some of the... Um, harder elements of these kinds of events Mm -hmm. because we were talking this morning and you were just saying how oh my goodness the paperwork the paperwork (laughs) the paperwork what are are some of the things that are holding you back wow (laughs) so yesterday I had to have a conversation with a church about would it be okay to put a steam engine and a seven-foot bell in your car park on Sunday morning? No. Oh, no. Oh, no, <laughs> because people need to park in there to come to the service. So you have to kind of think, okay, okay, plan B, plan B. And by the time you've actually got through a whole project, you're on, like, plan F, aren't you? Yeah. And then If you're lucky. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then I've got to close all these roads because I am having this procession. And someone has suggested that we don't bother with a procession, we just do the other part of it. And oh. I'm mortified. And also, telling me I can't do something is like red rag to a bull. <laughs> so we are, that procession will happen. The procession however. is part of the story, though, isn't it? That's the procession is, because, because the story is the fact that All Saints Church wanted their bells recasting. They contacted George Taylor, who I think was based in London at the time. They came down to have a look, and somehow or other in that whole little story, they ended up moving to Loughborough so you know there's the connection so so the story starts at All Saints so we have to start at All Saints so we may be finishing at Queen's Park next to the Carillon um, which is another thing with seven bells in that they made but the story has to start there otherwise it's not a story is it so um, and I thought about how how would bells be moved in those days and they would have been moved by a steam engine and a trailer yeah so I just whipped up a steam engine and a trailer, as you do. do. Yeah, (laughs) rang someone, asked them if they could make me a seven-foot bell out of willow, and they just and everybody went, yeah, (laughs) okay. So that's where it will start, and then we will walk through the streets, um, and then the park won't let us take the steam engine through the park. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to have handles put on the bells, so the steam engine will pull into the park. And then we'll get the bell off and people will carry the bell, which actually I think will be quite nice. Oh, really, really yeah. beautiful. What, one of the things that has come to mind is I bet being somebody in your phone is a lot of fun. Because when, <laughs> whenever you get a call from Linda, you're never quite sure what she's going to ask you. Can you make a sound foot willow bell? Not. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, Solid or hollow? <laughs> yeah. It does, it does make me laugh how simple it can be sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, things are there if you look for them and if you need them. 
And if you do it with passion, I think people just get caught up in that passion, don't they? And then they want to be part of it. I mean, halfway down the line, they've got no idea what they're part of. (laughs) But at the beginning, it sounds great. As long as you've got the vision, Linda, we're okay. I've got the paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) I've got the spreadsheet. I hate spreadsheets. (laughs) That's a shame. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But behind all of these things, sorry, going back to the question, behind all of these things, there's a hell of a lot of work needs to be done. And... um, yeah, that's the boring stuff, isn't it? So as long as the exciting stuff outweighs the boring stuff, it's okay. We get there. We get there. <laughs> the paperwork's okay if you've got a seven-foot willow bill at the end. <laughs> <laughs> if it Absolutely. goes well and safely, then that's what I focus on when I'm doing mine. Yeah, yeah. So trays are definitely um, an event organising guru as well. Oh, uh, right. Yes. Sorry, I've just, I've just knocked the microphone. Ah. Um, so, yeah, but she loves a spreadsheet. Oh, Only no. because I know that it means that I'm closer to achieving my aim. That's why. Oh, I just like the pretty colours you can put on them, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> of course, there's colours on them. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I can never remember where I filed it, but, you know, hey. <laughs> I think um, Linda and Trey need to have, like, an Excel sheet off or something. That'd be amazing. <laughs> um, right, we're all going to get to our final three questions then, if that's okay. 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 And they don't have to be long answers. No. <laughs> really? <laughs> Are there such things as short answers? I don't know. What um, a concept. We'll give, it, we'll give it a go. So the first one is, have you got the any advice for people listening who perhaps have got some creative block? How do you get over your creative block if you ever have any? Um, I kind of work with things and change things as I move along, for sure. So I never think that I have to have, right, we're going to do it this way. You know, there's always some idea at the start of what you might do, but then surround yourself with other creative people and 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 talk about it and just chat, you know, have a glass of wine, do whatever, but just have a chat with other people because they'll come up with little ideas that you might accept or reject or it might turn into something else, but you don't have to do it on your own. Surround yourself with people who inspire you or go somewhere lovely, you know, get out of an office for goodness sake. Yeah, just... Nice. Yeah. Perfect. It will come. If it's meant to be, it will happen. And believe it will happen. That's the thing. Whatever's happening, yeah, yeah, it will be amazing. Lovely answer. Thank you very much. Question number two. What's the best bit of placemaking you've seen recently that you haven't been involved with? Mm. I don't know. Have you visited somewhere and you thought, oh, this place is great because... Well, so last Christmas, I visited the Illuminated Memorial Arboretum. (laughs) (laughs) And and I just thought, wow, what a place. You know, this brings so many people together and it's not morbid in any way. It is a celebration of life. Um, And it was such such a stunning place in the dark as well. So you couldn't really see it was an arboretum. And I was with my husband and I was so overwhelmed by by the colours and, and the lights and how it had all been done. And I said to him, do you know what? This is a fabulous place. I wish I could be involved in something like this and create things like this. And by March, it. by March, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm now working there. Yeah, so, yeah, those those sort of things. And it's it's off, it's built from someone's vision, isn't it? And, and someone's passion. And you can tell that when you're there, you know, as with other places. You can tell what's gone into a place. Definitely. The thought really does come to the front, doesn't it? You know, the thought behind it and the effort and like you say, the And the detail. Yes. It is a beautiful, beautiful place and I've Mm. really loved working there Mm. um, over the past few months. It's been rather amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And also we met. We did indeed. So there you go. 
Um, so, the last question of the day. Oh, yes. And then we can get you even more coffee. Oh, yes. <laughs> Do you have any tips for people um, to help them fall back in love with where they live? So, the reason behind the question. <laughs> often wise, when you are in a place, a town, a city, a village, wherever it is, um, whether you live there, whether you work there, you can get to the point where that excitement you initially felt mm. <laughs> moving to said place wanes so have you got any tips falling back in love with where you live I think one of the things that I always try to do where wherever I am and I see that other people don't and I don't wish to be awful but a lot of people walk along looking at their phone and looking down and looking at their feet and thinking about what they need to do next and you know sometimes you know if you just look up look up at the buildings you know if you walk through say somewhere like Leicester you can be looking down and you can just see litter or or you know not much else but if you look up there are some beautiful buildings aren't there and you can you can start to imagine what happened behind those windows and the people who use them and the people who went before and who built them and yeah that sort of thing and just just look around and just just take time and I'm gonna have to mention churches because I blinking love churches medieval churches I am not religious in any way but I love the buildings so you know you might go around you might you might have a church in an area where you live, an old church, and oh my goodness, the stories that has to tell. You know, think about who built it, and look for one of the things I look for is graffiti in churches, which is apotropaic, so it's to protect people from the devil. And when I tell people about that and show them all these little markings you can find, not Mason's marks, but other marks, you then get people going into churches that would never go into a church because to them it's a place of religion. And they're obsessed with trying to find these marks, my husband being one of them. <laughs> you know, well so Yeah, just, just look beyond what you would normally look at and talk to people. You know, if there's a heritage society or a history society, just go visit them sometime or send them an email or pick up their leaflets or something like that. So there are stories to discover. Absolutely everywhere. You've just got to look for them. Yeah. Beautiful. I think that's a wonderful place to end. I think so. I'm going to say thank you very, very much to our wonderful guest, (laughs) Linda (laughs) Ball. Thank you. Many, many, many thanks to our wonderful co-host, Tracy Parr. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, nice guys come down <laughs> I'd also like to thank our producer Matt Cheers. oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, and we will see you in the next episode goodbye bye, bye. Street is a Making Trails podcast produced by Matt Reed at Microbrew Radio with co-host Tracy Parr and hosted by Tilly Bancroft.